Welcome to episode 8 of the City of Champions podcast. My name is Erod, and I'm joined here by my co-host Gene. In this episode, we discuss the Dodgers versus Padres, Lakers against the Mavs, and a look ahead to the week's games. Welcome back to episode eight of the City of Champions podcast. Lots to talk about. Lots to talk about today. A disappointing series against San Diego. Beyond disappointing. I'm I'm furious right now. Did not expect it to be that bad. And uh, you can blame a lot on the umps for sucking. But the way things unraveled, it was just bad. I have no words. Like I am livid with what just happened at the end of this game. This game that went into extra innings and we should have won. But give me your initial thoughts, reactions on the series overall, Gene. Everything happened like exactly like I said it would. When we gave our predictions, I said, we're going to lose the series 3-1. And, and I said that that at the end, Dodgers Twitter is going to want to, you know, jump off a cliff and they're going to want to trade everyone and fire everyone. And here we are. Exactly what I said would happen, man. Dodgers fans are pissed off uh, by, you know, losing the series and especially how we lost today, you know, being up 7-1 and uh, blowing the game. But I mean, I'm not tripping, man. It's April. I'm not tripping. Like, I, I have my thoughts on, you know, each each game and how Roberts handled a couple things and areas we need to improve in. But I'm not going to I'm not going to overreact. I'm going to overreact. And you know why? Because, <laughs> you know, it's April and it really doesn't matter. But these are the same dumb mistakes that we keep seeing from the Dodgers and from Doc that run into October. And it gets old, man. It just gets old. You know, we have too good of a team to be losing these kinds of games, blowing seven to one leads in the sixth inning. It's it's just too much. And it almost seems like it uh, happens again every year. And it was like I told you, Doc reminds me of Luke Walton when he coached the Warriors for like that 40 game span when Kerr was out. And he looked like a genius because he, you know, they only, only lost two games. The Dodgers are the same way. You could stick almost anyone in that role. And because the team is so deep they would win but this guy just manages to out manage himself but you know let's let's go game by game you know before we go too deep into, into Roberts um give you give me your initial reactions on uh you know game one game one and I feel like uh analysis is going to be very similar game by game but just can we just say excellent starting pitching across the series, right? Excellent starting pitching, starting off with game one, Walker Buehler, uh, seven innings, four hits, two earned runs, zero walks, nine Ks. He gave up a home run on 101 pitches. Just um, just good stuff, filthy stuff. Um, he does uh, give up that uh, that solo homer to Grisham, RBI singles by uh, by Machado. But uh, the offense kind of comes around and we get the, uh, the back-to-back home runs in the seventh inning uh, to tie the game by Pollock and, and Noisy. And so, you know, we're rallying, we're rallying. And in the top of the eighth inning, uh, Trining comes in. And that's kind of, you know, where the game gets away from us a little bit. The first couple games of the series, man, the offense just really wasn't giving us much. And, you know, this is kind of, you know, that's what happened in this game. What were your thoughts in the first game? You know, when you have a guy like Noisy coming in and being the guy to sort of supply runs, it's... It's sad, man, because we have such a stacked team and, you know, we should be getting a lot more, especially out of our one through four. And I can't even count how many people we left on base this entire series. Um, yeah, but but we also had some bad luck, right? We also have some bad luck because in this first game, remember, it's the eighth inning. We have uh, runners on second and third um, and then they... Uh, they walk Pollock to load the bases. And then that's when Noisy hits that crazy hard ground ball. But uh, right at Cronenworth, he flips that double play. Yeah, no, it was it was a great play. Got to give uh, Cronenworth, you know, the big ups because he stood in front of the ball. He knocked it down, did what he needed to do. Noisy was too slow going to first. And, you know, nothing on Noisy. He hit the ball hard whenever he, you know, had at bats this series. But... We need to score. We need to score. And, uh, you know, you have to account for that bad luck. You're, you have to account for the umpires making bad calls. That's part of the game. Things aren't going to always go your way. That's why you cannot leave any room for error. And so, you know, game one, it was hard fought, hard pitched both sides. It was it was a loss. You know, it was a legitimate loss. It, it, it was a loss. And I just want to throw this and this is going to be a common theme. And we'll probably cycle back to that after we're done covering each game. But 
throughout this series, the Padres just kept stealing runs from us. Going first to third, stealing bases. Like, oh my God, 13 stolen bases in a series? That's ridiculous. And so they stole a run here in the fourth, in the fourth inning. Uh, Tatis gets a single, still second, RBI single by Machado. Boom, there's a run. That easy. And so it's just, you know, and that's the difference, right? Because it's a 3-2 game. And that's the difference right there. But like you said, man, offense didn't do too much. Let's move on to game two. Well, no, so, hang on. Let, let, let's go back to the uh, the stolen bases, right? It almost seemed like they weren't looking to throw anyone out. It didn't seem like they were looking to hold anyone on. There were no throws to first or second throughout the entire series. Like they were literally just letting these guys take bases effortlessly without any small challenge, without any, not even a look over. That's unacceptable. I mean, it's, it's bad enough that we have you know, a young catcher and then a guy like Barnes who isn't the best catcher, but to not even make an effort to sort of just give him the bases like that, that's, you cannot, you can't be doing that. They, they took runs away from us. And, and I, I'm just going to say this, man, like if Barnes is supposed to be the defensive catcher that he's supposed to be, like everyone's hyping him up to be, and I get it, he calls a great game and whatnot and Kershaw likes to pitch to him. I get that, but you can't have all these dudes stealing bases on you because it's not like they were just stealing bases on Will Smith. You know, they stole, uh, you know, today we're recording this Sunday after the game, they stole five bases on Barnes today. And so for me, if like they're going to be stealing bases like that on Barnes and they're going to be stealing bases like that on Will Smith, then what's the purpose of having the Barnes catch games? You know, he's supposed to be the dude who who's the better defensive catcher. And so, I don't know, it's just kind of annoying. It is annoying, but, you know, let's move on to, you know, game two. And a pretty decently pitched game by Kershaw obviously had some bad luck with uh, with Tatis. But, you know, he went out and he did his job. Seven strikeouts, five hits, three earned runs. And, you know, the, the three home runs were three uh, solo home runs, I believe. And we just, we, we got outworked. We got outworked. We, again, our bats weren't there. Unfortunately for us, Knebel had some upper tricep tightness, which I guess is something of concern. Um, it's kind of weird, like, could because the tricep, right? It's, what is it connected to? It's connected to the shoulder. But so they came out, they came out, Robert said it's not the tricep um, after, you know, after they asked him questions, I guess it's the lat. It's his lat. So it's not, initially they said it was his tricep, but now they say it's his lat and they're saying he's going to be out a couple months, um, but he should be able to pitch again this season. So that's not good because as we saw today, our bullpen is definitely, definitely shaky. So it sucks to lose. Probably, I think we could say Knable was our best reliever. I mean, Jansen's looking really good also, but I feel like Knable had the best pure stuff. Man, that's just unfortunate because he was really settling into his role as, you know, both the set of man and the closer just whenever he was needed. You know, we've got Gratterall coming back, but like you, you know, you saw today he struggled and Santana is just pitching not not great at all. Bro, but and, and, and for Gratterall, man, he's in spring training mode. He hasn't had a chance to pitch two appearances. It's basically like he's working himself from spring training. So got to be patient with Gratterall, man. It's going to take him some time. He's not going to be lights out like we expect him to be. He's, you know, really just going through spring training right now all the patience with him i love the guy i know he's going to come come in strong when he does you know get in shape it, it just sucks you know just because there there really isn't anyone that we can rely on there isn't that one guy that you can look to and say oh it's over with this guy it's going to be you know one two three or he's going to get two strikeouts and it's frustrating knowing that because this is going to go into the playoffs and it is going to be a problem for us like it has been a problem for us in the past and it was like i tweeted today our bullpen isn't made for high leverage situations our bullpen is made for a 162 game season where the stakes aren't great and guys can kind of sort of slack off here and there not really bring their a game and still get away with it but as you could see anytime there's a high leverage situation anytime there's a tight game we cannot get the job done our bullpen is not made for high leverage closed games and that is a concern that's something that we have to look into and it's been my criticism over the years we need a legitimate set of man we need a legitimate closer whichever that is whether you want to you know throw jansen into the setup role but we need that strong reliable arm well we'll see we'll see, we'll see how you know how the bullpen shakes out, man. And, and we'll talk about, you know, the Sunday night game in a second. And we'll see how the bullpen shakes out. Sucks to lose Knable, man. I hope he's okay. I hope he can return this season. And I hope he can, you know, round back into and round back into form like he was pitching. But in this second game, a couple things stood out to me. So number one was Edwin Rios striking out on three straight pitches, bro. Really good pitches. Like, I mean, and I don't mean really good pitches in the sense that the, you know, Darvish was throwing them like something hella nasty. They were just good hittable pitches, middle in fastballs. And and um, he just literally watches three pitches. And this is where Mookie gets hit by a pitch. He's still second. Muncie walks. So you have runners on first and second. And so you have an RBI situation here early in the game. 
He just watches three pitches. And throughout this series, Edwin Rios was horrible. I am pretty sure he's batting below 100 now. I get that we have injuries, but when that first person comes back from injuries, I really don't care who it is. Um, I mean, they'll probably send Luke Rayleigh down first or DJ Peters, but Edwin Rios, when Bellinger comes back, when Lux comes back, when McKinstry comes back, Edwin Rios does not deserve a spot on the bench. He needs to get sent down. He needs to go back to AAA because... He, I, I've been saying it from the beginning that he was a home run or strikeout hitter and he doesn't he's not a contact hitter and he's not making any type of contact but he's just not even taking good swings so that was something that stood out to me um and then again just more bad luck man in the seventh inning we get Rayleigh to get on Barnes walk um and so then it's uh runners on first and second and then uh Betts hits a line drive going down the third baseline and Machado robs him of probably an RBI single at the very least and so um just a, a tough series man a tough series in regards to our offense we did only generate one run in that second game but also something positive man even though he didn't have a good series and again I'm, I think I'm done with this guy also I think I've seen enough and we can send him back down uh but shout out to DJ Peters, man. He is a local product out of Glendora High School. Um, grew up a Dodgers fan. He talked about that. So he was able to make his debut in that second game in front of his uh, family and friends who who came to watch him. So that's cool for him. But also, I've seen enough. I've seen enough of it, man. They can send him back down also. He looks overmatched. He needs to go to AAA and just work on his swing. But let's go to game three, bro. Todd Bauer looked really good, man. Nine strikeouts. He looked really good. Uh, two runs on two home runs to uh, to Tatis. One was on a, a cutter that he left uh, middle high. Tatis roped it. The next one came on, which I thought he set up very well. Um, he had retired 11 straight batters. He was cruising. He was rolling. And he has Tatis in the sixth. He sets him up outside with sliders and fastball. Then he throws, and, you know, everyone's talking about how Tatis peaked at Will Smith, but he didn't Tats the sign because John Boy did a breakdown and, Tat and and Smith's fingers were gone by the time Tatis peeked down. He maybe knew where the, that there was going to be an outside pitch, but we'll talk about that. But that slider was like four inches off the plate and he takes it dead center, man. So that was honestly, it was impressive, man. But we were able to get the win in this game, man. So that's the positive. In the third inning, we get three straight singles by Bet Seeger, and Turner to lead to a run. In the fourth, we have singles by Pollock. Muncie walks. Pollock steals third. I thought that was really cool by Pollock just being aggressive on the bases. Uh, Noisy gets an RBI single on a bunt single that was poorly played by Snell. Then the sixth inning, we get Noisy with the single, Taylor with the pinch hit single, Beatty with the pinch hit single, Mookie walks that drives in a run, then Seager gets the two-run single. Really cool. Uh, bullpen holds it down. Uh, Kenley comes in for the save. Cutter looking good, 92-94. to 94. He gets that final strike at 95. So I was just happy that we were able to... <laughs> at least squeak this win out man and get one uh because that order otherwise man it would have it been a four game sweep and it was very close to being a four game sweep so let's go to game four today game four was great up until the sixth inning it was such a good game may was just lethal he sunned machado who should change his name to machado after what happened to him he got destroyed you know he he got destroyed uh and we we did well, man. We did well in those first few innings. I'm glad that uh, Noisy is killing the ball. He was probably our best hitter this entire series throughout the. Um, I think he missed one of the games, but in uh, in the four games, he he had two home runs. He had a couple, you know, key hits. So I'm I'm happy with that. And uh, let's you know start talking about. What happened after the sixth inning? After May came out, um, after shutting the game down. Give, get, let, let, let's just spend a little bit of time on Dustin May, man, and let's not. Because after the sixth inning, we're going straight to like some negatives. So let's just focus on some positives for a second, man. Dustin May is really rounding into a, a good pitcher. Six innings, two hits, one run. Gives up that solo shot to Tatis, which really pisses him off. And he kind of locks in after that again. But 10 strikeouts. And one of the criticisms of Dustin May last year was he has this nasty stuff, but he wasn't really a strikeout pitcher. This year, he's starting to look more like a strikeout pitcher. And that's all attributed to his slider. Pairing that slider with the cutter the fastball the sinker he just looked really good man i thought he did great perfect time after 16 i thought it was the perfect time to take him out thought that was right on you know right on schedule and like you said sixth inning we were rocking and rolling the score was seven to one after the sixth inning we had a big sixth inning three run home run by taylor so we think we're cruising in comes david price he does give up two runs but one of the runs was uh noisy had an error it was a double play ball and he kind of botches it. Um, and so he does have an error. And then you get the two run single by the catcher uh, that goes off of Seager's glove. 
and he does get uh, Will Myers to hit into a double play. So score is 7-3. At this point, I know what I'm thinking at this point. Do you pull David Price after this one inning? What were your thoughts? If I'm Roberts, I'm leaving May in for another inning. First of all, the whole 100 pitch limit is arbitrary. There's no evidence or anything that says you're going to start sucking after the 100th pitch. If a guy is rocking and rolling, whether you're a Snell in the World Series and you're rocking and rolling, you leave the guy in. I don't care if he has 93 pitches or 110 pitches. You leave him in because he is shutting guys down. So I leave him in, but obviously that didn't happen. So he throws David Price in. Is it the right move? I don't think so. I think you go with Gratterall first, right? Because he's your least prepared, least ready pitcher, if, if you want to call it that, since he's still in spring training mode. Leave, you know, put him in there. If he messes up, he messes up, but you get him out of the way, right? And then after that, you can throw in Price, you can throw in Victor Gonzalez, but no, he throws in Price, right? Who can go multiple innings and then brings in Gratterall for 0.1 innings and then Gonzalez for only 0.2 innings. But then he brings in Nelson, who just gets destroyed. I mean, this guy did not look good coming in and then he brings him in for night, you know, another inning after that. After he just, you know, shit the bed, he brings him in for another inning. Luckily, he did better that second time around. I don't know. I don't, I don't like the way he rotated his pitchers. If I, if Price is in there after May in the seventh, I leave Price in for another inning. I don't bring in Gratterall, especially after his last outing, especially, you know, knowing that he's still in spring training mode or I just leave in Victor Gonzalez for more than one inning. I don't bring Nelson in. I I try to stay away from Nelson. I try to stay away from Santana. I try to, you know, try to stay away from Gratterall. I go to my reliable arms. I give David Price the extra inning because he is the starter. I think pulling Dustin May out when he did was the right call because Noisy comes in and gets a pinch hit home run. So boom, right there off the bat, it pays dividends and we push the lead seven to one. I think you could have left Price in. I, I would have left Price in to face the top of the lineup, but he brought Gratterall in to face Tatis, Grisham, and Machado, and he walks Tatis. Grisham flies out. Machado gets a uh, um, gets a hit and run uh, gets a hit and run single, um, or just put hit and run, and then on the single puts runners on um, on the corners, and then Gratterall's pulled. So Gratterall's job was to face the top of the lineup. I question the decision to bring in a guy who's still in spring training mode to face the one, two, three hitters of the Padres. I just, I think that's a bad decision right there. If you wanted to go to anyone, maybe you go to Victor Gonzalez, but I think he saved Victor Gonzalez to face the next part of the lineup, which was um, which was Hosmer and Cronenworth and, you know, more lefties. I would have probably just let Price go one more inning and just see what you got. And then if you have to go to, if you have to go to Victor Gonzalez, go to Victor Gonzalez. And if I'm letting Bruzdar face anyone, I'm letting him face the bottom of the lineup. So I thought that was a bad move. Um, Jimmy Nelson, man, I don't know. I, I thought he was going to be a lot better when we picked him up. Um, he looked really good during spring training. I was excited. He's just been very inconsistent for the Dodgers, uh, so far this year hasn't been in control of his pitches very well he was really everywhere like we're really lucky he didn't blow the game because he was a he was everywhere man like him being able to strike out Tatis in the 10th that was a that was impressive but um when he gets the ninth it's broken bat single pop out single single another single and so he's just giving up base hits after base hits after base hit pitches in the dirt walking people and so I don't know it just wasn't a good appearance by Jamie Nelson definitely wasn't his best I personally I wouldn't even been mad if he let David Price go to the last three seven eight nine why not he can throw multiple innings just throw the dude out there he's he's fresh you know we could definitely question uh Dave Roberts uh decisions in this game man because there is a yeah, some rough uh decisions like hoops pinch hitting and stuff like that like I don't even know why Edwin Reels is getting at bat why is Edwin Rios getting at bats when Noisy, who's been hot the entire series, when Noisy, who went deep a couple innings before, why is he getting taken out for Rios, who can I hit the ball to save his life right now? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, all the decisions that he made from how to manage your hitters to how to manage the bullpen were just bad. You're up seven to one and he's starting a pinch hit for everyone. What does that tell me if I'm on the other side? What does that tell me if I'm the Padres? This guy's disrespecting us because he's thinking the game's already over because he's giving everyone the ad bat to give, you know, to, you know, kind of like the participation trophy so that everyone can get a chance to, to, you know, face someone. 
that is disrespect to the Padres. So I can understand if they were, you know, upset by it. It doesn't make sense. Roberts gave up on this game after May came out. He got cocky and started making dumb decisions. And I don't know if he's making them because, oh, the matchup, you know, this is what the statistics say. This is what the metrics say. You know, that's what it is. They're going to ask him in the post game, hey, you pinch it. You know, Reels has been really struggling and you pinch it noisy and you put Reels in the hit in the in the bottom of the ninth. What was your, you know, what was your logic behind that? He's going to say, I like the, you know, uh, good question. I, I like the matchup there. Uh, Edwin Reels, you know, get that lefty matchup against the right hander. I thought that was a good call. I like that at bat there. Come based on, on what, though? Based on what? Like It's all based on the fact that it's a left-hand hitter against a right-hand pitcher. I guarantee you that's all what it was based on. He cannot, with a straight face, say that he was more confident in Edwin Rios in that at-bat than Sheldon Noisy when Edwin Rios is lost at the plate right now, man. He's been getting at-bats and getting opportunities more than Sheldon Noisy. And already from the jump, I can tell you Sheldon Noisy looks more comfortable in the box than he does. He's making better contact. Even his... When he's when even his outs are loud outs, he's making hard contact. Uh, he's had two home runs. He had that hard out, you know, that double play to Cronenworth. He had some deep fly outs in the other game. So he's uh, just stringing together better at bats than Edwin Rios, man. And so I, I just didn't agree with that uh, that decision to pitch hit Edwin Rios there. I get the whole matchup, right? But it wasn't even to avoid a lefty lefty matchup, bro. It was to avoid a righty righty matchup. He didn't. Yeah, want- but I- I'm just saying that in general, right? Just in the spirit of why you do these things, right? But where is the data in Edwin Rios? This guy's had 160 at-bats in his career. Not all of them were against right-handed pitchers, right? Where is he getting this data that says Rios does well when he pitches or when he hits against righties, right? The statistics aren't there. It is statistically insignificant after 160 at-bats, plate appearances, that you can make a call like that. So where is he getting his decision-making? Is it just some rule that he's making up? They probably don't have data, like enough data as far as like his time up in the big leagues, but they have data from the minors and they probably look at his splits and his splits are probably more favorable against right-handed pitchers than they are against left-handed pitchers. And he's going to say that he saw something in that pitcher or what that pitcher, you know, that pitcher's uh, repertoire or whatever that he thought Rios would be the better hitter in that situation. All I'm saying is at a certain point, and we both feel this way, and most most baseball fans feel this way. At a certain point, you have to throw the analytics away. You have to throw the analytics away and just go with your gut and go with the eye test, right? What do you see? Every Dodger fan, it was all over Twitter, was saying the same thing about Edwin Rios. He's lost at the plate. He's not looking good. He's swinging and missing at easy pitches. He's letting good pitches go by. And pinch hitting noisy with Rios was a bad call. All of the Dodger fans on Twitter agree with that. And so, I don't know, man. What, what, what other thoughts do you have on this game, bro? Oh, man, a lot of thoughts. I mean... It's just tough, man. We were up seven to one in the sixth inning. We should have won this game. It shouldn't have been close, but we left 18 men on base this game. I think Barnes himself went up to bat three times with bases loaded, I think, or with at least two men on. Yeah, between him and Luke Rayleigh, bro, they, they left a ton of runners on. Right. And so why is Barnes still in there like why why it doesn't why not pinch hit smith why do you leave him in there after i you know granted he did have that rbi single in uh, i think the first or second inning it was but he is leaving the bases loaded every single time like why are we leaving him in why not pinch hit him why take noisy out well you're not gonna pinch hit austin barnes bro because you only have one more catcher on the bench and you know in case of injury or whatever you don't want to burn that one catcher so i get that i get that for me it's more like i mean i don't know barnes has to catch some games he's gonna eventually he has to catch some games it's just frustrating when you see him up there and you know it's an out like you just have that feeling every time he's up there literally when he gets a hit it's literally a, a blessing, man. When he gets a hit, it's like the the greatest thing ever. It, we it's it's luck. Every time he's up, most Dodger fan think like automatic out. So I understand why you're not pinch hitting for um, for Austin Barnes. But for me, the bottom of the lineup today was just more of a, a realization that our roster is a bit depleted right now. When you think about who's out, Bellinger, starter. That's like your five six hitter. Lux starter that's like you're normally your six seven hitter McKinstry normally a six seven eight hitter you know and even Taylor missed some games this series so 
the offensive struggles and the bottom of the lineup struggling, it makes sense because you have dudes like Luke Rayleigh, you have dudes like Edwin Rios down there. Uh, these are dudes who are not going to be, you know, guys who are not going to be on the lineup in October. So I thought the offensive struggles were kind of a testament to the injuries that we've been dealing with early on, man, because we didn't hit well this series. Our batting average, we were 32 for 139. So that's a 230 batting average. We did get 15 runs, but, you know, seven of them being today. And then with runners in scoring position, we were eight for 43 this series. That's a 186 batting average. So just not hitting the ball well with runners in scoring position, not, you know, manufacturing and driving in those runs. And we, we really saw that today. Multiple times with bases loaded, man. Um, like Joe Musgrove was lucky to leave the game in the third inning and in, in only being down 2-1 or only, I think he left when it was, it was already, when he left the game, it was 2-0. So only leaving the game with two runs, man. He worked through a lot of trouble. He did. And uh, how did Tati score in the 11th? Uh, Tati scored on a, a sacrifice fly. I can't remember how he got to third. He stole uh, the base, right? It was a double steal. That's right. You're right. It was a double steal. Him and Grisham. What do they call that in baseball? They call it small ball, right? Yeah, small ball. Aggra- aggressive, scrappy baseball, bunning the guy but, over again, the guy but, over. But- the Padres, man, this whole series, I told you, they were just were stealing runs, whether it was steals or whether it was going first to third or just aggressive base running, uh, you know, shortening up their swings. Because you see when they drove in a lot of runs, man, it was just singles. They were just hitting singles, hitting singles. They weren't swinging for the fences. They were playing aggressive. They were playing small ball. They were taking advantage of opportunities and capitalizing on them. And so the point I'm trying to make is you're in extra innings. There's an automatic, stupidest rule ever, but there's automatically a guy on second base. How do you win the game? You play small ball. It's not that hard. Bunt the guy over. Wait for a sacrifice fly. That's all you have to do. And it's game over. Why let Kershaw come in and try to swing for the fences? Why not bring him in for Rios and then have him bunt? Because the situation was there where Rios could have bunted the guy over and we could have had a pretty good situation going. But Rios can't bunt. And we have no one else, you know, they, that can except for maybe Kershaw, who's done it before because he's a pitcher. So why do you burn Kershaw in situations where he doesn't need to get burnt and then leave the guy who cannot hit? I mean, who can't bunt and can't even hit right now, be the guy who really decides the game for us. It was as easy as bunting the guy over and then getting a sacrifice fly. And that's it. And I think we did hit a fly ball in that uh, in that inning. Are you, are you referring right are you are you referring to so in the ninth innings? In the ninth inning, we had Barnes with the bloop single. Then Rios came in. I would have liked, yeah, I agree with you there. I would have liked the bunt to be laid down, move Barnes to second. Because then you have Mookie and you have Seager following. So you have your two best hitters or two of your three best hitters with a runner on second, a runner in scoring position. I like that situation. That didn't happen. But then when we go to the bottom of the 10th and Seager's at second base, Turner does move him over to third. He slaps it up the middle. Seager goes to third. So you have Seager on third with one out. But then, bro, they go back-to-back walks. They intentionally walk Muncy, and they intentionally walk Taylor to get to Kershaw with the bases loaded. They strike him out. And then DJ Peters, man, my dude can't hit a fastball. And he gets blown by, and he strikes out. So, I mean, the runner was there. Why is Robert, like, he's, Robert's just second-guesses himself. Like, he makes these dumb decisions, doesn't trust his gut, his instincts, and just goes with a matchup or with the analytics. And it doesn't make sense. Like, we're too good to be this arrogant. We cannot swing for the fences every time. We've got to take advantage of those small ball situations. We've got to bunt guys over. That is how you win games. That is how the Cardinals won so many World Series. That's how the Yankees won. That is how so many teams won World Championships by playing small ball. Even even Dave Roberts himself, again, you know, the iconic stolen base in Boston. We've covered the games, but this series had a lot of just like extracurricular activity, a lot of antics. It seemed like every game there was something that Dodgers Twitter was going at the Padres on Twitter about. And so I just want to go through each situation with you, bro. And just real quick, hit me with your thoughts. All right. So let's start off with Grisham hits the home run off of uh, Walker Bueller. He's rounding third. And as he's rounding third, he spits towards the Dodgers dugout. Did you like, what'd you think about that? Like, did it mean anything to you? You're kind of like not tripping on it. I think this is why we needed and we still need Yasiel Puig. This is the guy that you need. Kind of kind of like Bauer, right? But Bauer's different because he's a he's a pitcher. You need a guy like Yasiel Puig who's going to have your back because I guarantee you he wouldn't have just sat there and taken it. This is disrespect, man. This is the Padres playing at Dodger Stadium, spitting in your direction. And I get, oh, you know, there's fines and baseball's looking at it and suspensions and blah, blah, blah. But you never, ever, ever let someone disrespect you like that. 
you felt like it was disrespect then. Hundred percent disrespect, and it's. Right, I bet. mean, it, it's not even. They're not even hiding it. Yeah. All right. For sure. And I mean, I think all Dodger fans hate Grisham with the passion, man. He's he's hella annoying. Let's go to Tatis. He had he had several moments in this series. How did you feel about every time he hits a home run, bro? He does like this stutter step at third base. Like he trots, 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 and he gets to third base. He does like this little Euro step, stutter step at third base. Does that annoy you? Does that bother you? Do you feel like that's like something that should be pissing the Dodgers off? It bothered me if the dude wasn't making nine errors, to be honest. But he, he sucks. Okay, he's getting home runs. So he's Joey Gallo. Good for fucking him. <laughs> he can't right. feel for shit he's not the best player in baseball he's not the face of baseball i don't feel bad because he's not good and he hasn't convinced me that he's good because he's hit you know a couple home runs to be a good player you've got to be good on both sides of the plate so if he wants to dance around he can keep on doing it all right what about the uh what do we when he hits the home run off of bauer and he covers the one eye he looks at the dugout and covers the one eye that's bauer you know uh sort of being Bauer because Bauer does the same thing. He does the whole like So one, you, you felt like Tatis was so you felt like he was Tatis was doing it just to kind of mock Bauer. You weren't really yeah, tripping on it. He was and I, the reason I'm not tripping on it is because that's who Bauer is. And so if Tatis is doing it, then he's sort of just getting back at Bauer. I think on Twitter he he went and said uh some days you troll and some days you get trolled. And that's exactly it, right? It's it's almost like if someone gets mad at um gets mad at uh Draymond Green, right? And they start drawing back and forth. Well, that's who Draymond Green is, so I can expect that from him. Same situation here. That's who Bauer is and that's what Tatis did. Yeah, and that's what Bauer said. Because Tatis had Tatis hit the homer off him, did the one eye close, he bat flipped him. He did a McGregor shred on him after he hit the home run. So Tatis hit him with all the celebrations, really. And Bauer wasn't tripping on it, you know, because Bauer was on the mound. He was celebrating also. He was collecting swords after he'd like get someone striking out, uh, you know, on a swinging strikeout. Um, and Eric Hosmer did it back to him. He just laughed and he kind of talked about that on, on, you know, in the post game. He talked about how he feels that it's okay for offensive players to celebrate when they hit a home run off of you. That's fine. They should have the right to celebrate. He doesn't think it's a big deal. He, he thinks that he thinks it's dumb when pitchers throw at a player for celebrating. He thinks that's stupid. And I kind of agree with him. I, as much as people don't like Tatis, I think he is exciting. I think he's fun for the game. Um, I like how he plays with passion. I like the celebrations, but I do agree with you like that. He does need to clean up the defense. Tatis looking at the signs. Do you feel that's Bush League? Yeah, man. I think that's, you know, cheating. Again, if we're talking about like the face of baseball. This guy cheated. Tell me how that's a model player. Do you really think it's cheating to look at the signs when you're in the batter's box? I think it's definitely cheating. I think it helps if a ball's going to be outside. I think it for sure helps. I don't think it's cheating though, bro, because people people steal signs from second base all the time. Yeah, that's different though. You're at second base. You've got like the view. You're not like looking down deliberately. You're not like trying to look at the sign. I, I disagree. Like, I get why people feel like it's bushly and whatnot and how it kind of like it's an unwritten rule because it kind of takes away from the challenge of being a hitter and whatnot. And I hear all of that. But part of me is like, if we're playing poker, dog, and you're showing your cards, I'm gonna fucking look at your cards, you know? That's, yeah, but are you gonna are you gonna peek over? If you're showing me your cards, like if I can see your cards from like the 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 corner of my eye, if I can see your card, I'm gonna I'm gonna play like knowing like I I know what you have in your hand, and that's on Will Smith for not hiding the signs, bro. I thought Dave Roberts' comments were really interesting. You know, when they asked Dave Roberts about it, and he just said, you know, like that's not the way you play baseball. That's not baseball. And he said, you know, um, he just said like that's noted. And then Trevor Bauer on his blog. He said that that's the kind of shit right there that you will get thrown at for. Throw at him. Why aren't they throwing that's at him? That's what I thought they were going to throw at him this game, bro. I really thought this Sunday night game, I was like, oh man, they're going to th like, they're going to throw at him, but I didn't think it'd be Dustin May. You normally don't have like a rookie, a young pitcher, like go and throw at someone. That's normally something like reserved for a veteran, like Kershaw or, or Trevor Bauer. You normally don't have like your young guys go out there and peg someone. All right. Last thing. Last thing I want to ask you about, like, because there was a bunch of Ruben stuff Patterson. Ruben Patterson. Why are we talking about Ruben Patterson right now? What happened when Ruben Patterson, Ruben Patterson spoke out with his nonsense and disrespected Kobe Bryant? Does he call himself the Kobe stopper? Yeah. What happened? What happened to that guy? I'm pretty sure he got paid because people thought he was the Kobe stopper. He got bodied, right? He got bodied by Kobe. That's what Kobe does. That's the LA culture. You don't let people disrespect you, especially at home. Tati should have been hit. Something should have happened. They let him get away with it. And then on top of that, five stolen bases today. Like, that is mad disrespect, man. That is mad disrespect. And we're the defending champions. Like, we've got to start acting like it. Like, we can't let people disrespect us. I think it's kind of a punk move, man, to want to pitch at him because he's, he's celebrating or because he's 
had a great series against us. Strike the motherfucker out. Like, why you got to throw at him? Like, I, I don't understand that part of baseball. Oh, he's disrespecting because he's celebrating or he's disrespecting because he looked at the signs. Hide your signs then. Why are you not looking at the at the hitter before you put your signs down? Why are you leaving your signs out in the open like that? I feel like that's more on Will Smith. Like, I get that it's like Bush League and it's an unwritten rule, but Will Smith has to be better about that. Like, that for me is more on Will Smith. I'm not, I'm not pissed off at Tatis about that. Will Smith definitely has to take care of that. And he has to be better about not, you know, about concealing the signs, but it's still disrespect. And maybe I'm different. Maybe I'm old school, but you've got to back, you've got to back it up, man. You've got to back it up and you've got to assert yourself in one way or another. You have bad games, you lose games, but you cannot let them mock you the way they did. But, you know, enough of that. I don't think it's such your old school. Um, but I think that the Dodgers being defending champions understand like, yo, this is April. It's April, man. Like we're not tripping on this. And it reminded me something of what Lakers assistant coach Phil Handy recently posted on um, Instagram where uh, someone commented on how the Dallas Mavericks were hella celebrating their win over the Lakers. And Phil Handy said, that's what teams that play for the regular season do. You celebrate regular season wins. We're not tripping on people beating us in the regular season. We're not tripping on people celebrating for beating us in the regular season. We play for the playoffs and we play for championships and that's what we celebrate. So I think the Dodgers kind of have a similar mentality in the sense of that it's April. We're not tripping on these dudes. We got dudes on the injured list. We're not taking it that serious. Let's keep it moving. Let's let's wrap this segment up, man. Upcoming series. So we go right into a three-game homestand against the, uh, the Cincinnati Reds, who have been struggling. Last I looked, they were 9-11. and I'm not sure if they won today, but they had lost six in a row as well. What are your predictions, man, on this three-game series? Honestly, I don't even know at this point. The Dodgers are playing so poorly that they could get swept. So we'll see. The The Reds started off pretty hot, then uh, it just went completely cold. Um so it just depends. You know, they could turn back on. There's still a plus 11 differential even being in last place with a 9-12 record. So they're scoring runs. They probably just had bad luck um, or lost close games or just, you know, lost in late innings. I don't know. I think Dodgers take 2-1 nevertheless just because I want to believe that they're going to shake off this past series and move on. Yeah, I agree. I think we win two out of three and I think the offense starts to get back on track. We've had some really tough games against some really good pitching and not that the Reds don't have good pitching. It's just not at the level of what we've been facing. So I think the offense kind of starts to find its groove and because after right after that, we go into a, a series against the Brewers, man, and they've been playing really well and have some really elite pitching over there. So hopefully we can uh, win this series and, and get back on the winning track. All right, City of Champions podcast listeners, it is now time to talk about your Los Angeles Lakers. And we had a, a little mini series against the Dallas Mavericks down in Dallas. We had a game on Thursday and a game on Saturday. And unfortunately, we took L's in both games, which I predicted because we've kind of been struggling against the better teams with um, Braun out, but we did have a D back. And so, Edgar, let's start with the first game, the Thursday night game. Just hit me with your your initial thoughts on AD, because that's what everyone wanted to see. We all want to see AD back. What were your initial thoughts on AD in this first game? What I've been predicting uh, these past few weeks, he'd be rusty. He'd be out of his sort of groove. Um, and his shooting showed, right? He didn't shoot well at all. So, I mean, that's really it. There, it's nothing trivial. There's nothing crazy behind it. He didn't just start sucking all of a sudden. It's, you know, him getting back in uh, in shape and in uh, the pace of things. Yeah, man, I, I agree with you. I thought I thought this game for AD was very much uh, like a, a, an open run at a 24-hour fitness. I'm going to run up and down the court. I'm going to get some shots up. I'm going to go about 50%, you know, 50 to like 60%. That's what it looked like. He looked rusty. He looked like he was out there just to get the cardio in. He shot two for 10, four points, four rebounds. He was a minus 11 and the plus minus. Um, But, you know, we did lose this game 110 to 115, but we didn't play horrible. We were in the game the whole time. Um, You know, it just Dallas shot the ball really well. And our offense just kind of looked off when the starters weren't on the court. You know, the second quarter, Dallas pushes the lead to 11. And at the end, at halftime, they were shooting 50% from the field, 40% from three, 72% uh, from the free throw line. And they had shot 22 free throws at the half. And the Lakers only shot 13. And Doncic and Brasingas were balling and they had combined for 28 points at the half. And so it wasn't looking very good. But a couple positives to start the game, man. KCP was hooping and Dennis Schroeder, uh, Dennis Schroeder were hooping, man. They both played really well. And that kind of leads us into the third quarter where we win the quarter 39 to 32. And it was a big offensive quarter for us, but also, you know, a big quarter for uh, Dallas as well. Um, and we uh, we have an early 13-0 run lead led by KC, uh, KCP and Schroeder. And we get 
get to tie the game at 62. But then Dallas goes on a run of their own, 10-0 run of their own. And then, uh, but Schroeder really kept the game close for us. He played extremely well. I think this was probably his best game as a Laker. Um, and it, it was really him and KCP the whole second half for us. But we still struggled with fouls, man. We kept fouling Dallas and allowing Porzingis and, and uh, Doncic to get to the free throw line. Uh, between the two of them, they had 18 free throws uh, during the third quarter. And then when we get to the fourth quarter, it was a lot of just what I've been consistently seeing from the Lakers down the stretch is they struggle to close games against better teams, specifically the offense. The offense really struggles in close games without Bron and AD because um, AD was already at the bench by this point. And so so the offense stalls and we eventually end up losing that game uh 115-110. But something that stood out to me in this game, man, was um the Mavs bench was a plus 49 and a plus minus. The Lakers bench was a minus 37. And I thought that was very interesting. It kind of shows how when the game went to the benches, the Dallas Dallas bench completely dominated our bench. But uh shout out to Schroeder and KCP who combined for um 18 for 30 shooting, 8 for 15 from the three-point line, 10 for 11 from the free throw line, 24 point, and Schroeder added 30. 13 assists. So thought it was a pretty good game overall, but we did end up losing, which brings us to the Saturday evening game. Hit me with your your just analysis and thoughts on the Saturday night game, Edgar. Oh boy. Um, really more of the same from AD. I think Macklemore, you know, shot really well during that game. Dallas just wanted it more. You've got guys like Doncic, captain of his team, especially like in, you know, crunch time, late game situations, a guy who can take control of the game and really command it. I think that's what it came down to. You know, Drummond played poorly. Schroeder played poorly. The starters just played really poorly in general. Uh, it was, it just wasn't a good game. You know, it, it wasn't a good game. Um, outside of Macklemore, there really weren't that many things to look at and be, you know, optimistic about. We just need LeBron back, man, and AD yeah. in shape. Yeah, thanks for giving that shout out to Macklemore because he definitely did hoop, um, got hot from the three-point line early on. Um, something that was interesting to me in this game was that Trez didn't play Montrez Harrell. He sat on the bench and Vogel said he was just giving them the night off. He wanted to give Gasol some reps. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, and Gasol didn't play that great, just very passive, not very aggressive. But like you shouted out Luka Doncic, man, and, and it was really a tell of two halves. And it was really a tell of two halves in regards to Luka Doncic and how he handled our defense. The first half, we were um, really pressuring him on the pick and roll, blitzing him with Drummond and whoever was guarding Doncic, whether it was Caruso, whether it was um, Dennis Schroeder, whoever, or, or Kuzma, they were double teaming him and trapping him. And he was really struggling to handle the trap. The second half came around and he picked the trap apart, bro. Um did a really good job of finding his role man. Uh, Dwight Powell did a great job of finishing at the rim or being like the short roll playmaker. He'd get the ball in the short roll. The Lakers defense would collapse on him. He'd kick out to shooters or kick out to cutters. And so really uh, Dwight Powell just had a great game and him and Willie Cauley-Stein really did a good job. And they combined to shoot 13 for 14. Willie Cauley-Stein and Dwight Powell shot 13 for 14 with 33 points, man. And Doncic finished the game with uh, 13 assists. But this game really came down to the fourth quarter because it's tied going into the fourth and so the fourth quarter I just want to break it down a little bit both benches start the fourth quarter no one's really scoring kind of three minutes no one's really scoring either bench so the game is tied at 83 during at, at the eight minute mark we take a four point lead at the seven and a half minute mark Rick Harlock calls a timeout so at seven minutes and 30 seconds we're up four the last seven minutes and 30 seconds the Lakers got outscored by 19 points at the four minute mark it was only a two-point game but then that balloons to a 10-point game at the two minute mark. In that last seven and a half minutes, the Lakers shot two for 11, had five fouls. It was really Dwight, uh, uh, it was really Dwight Powell and, uh, Luka Doncic just the pick and roll, tearing the Lakers apart to the point where the Lakers had to go to a zone defense to try to find a way to cover the pick and roll. But they just, yeah, they just ran away with the game in the fourth quarter, man. We just, our offense, man, that last, if you're only going to shoot two for 11 in the last seven minutes of a game, you're, you're not going to win games that way, man. And, um, and overall, it was just bad shooting, a bad shooting game for the Lakers. We shot 38% from the field, 26% from the three-point line. Kuzma and McLemore shot really well. They were 10 for 19 from the three-point line, so above 50%. But check this, man. The rest of the team shot two for 26 from the three-point line. 
That's terrible, man. And uh, it's been happening a lot these past few games. And ever since LeBron's been out in the fourth quarter, we get outworked, we get outscored. And all the games that we've lost, it has been because we go cold. We go cold and we don't know how to stop the other team. And uh, again, that kind of goes to show that everyone needs a closer. We just don't have that right now. We don't have a closer. We don't have a guy who control the tempo and really get the baskets when we need them, right? So you think of LeBron, who when he wants something or he want, he needs a basket, he's going to drive and he's going to get his and he's going to get to the line and he's going to do that and make it a close game. Without that, there isn't really a guy that can uh, really will himself over the other team and just take over. And that's that's really the problem. Uh, not something to worry about again, because we'll get LeBron back. We'll get AD back in uh, in shape. And those guys will, you know, assume their roles as uh, closers. For now, it's just something we have to deal with. We have to sort of push through and hope that these guys guys make the best of it really yeah man it, i mean it's cool that we're competing in these games and we're keeping them close but like you said in the nba down the stretch every team needs a closer and we just don't have that player right now ad's not ready to close games because he's you know still working back into shape and dennis schroeder doesn't take over games that way so we're definitely missing that closer and i definitely think that's the reason we lost both of these games i think if Bron and, and ad were healthy we, we win these games easily and so let's talk about Bron a little bit man uh woes is reporting that uh lebron can return as early as next week, um, which will put him on track for that original six-week timeline. So that's a positive, man. We can have Bron uh, back really soon and then just kind of make that last little push for the playoffs um, because it is starting to get a little concerning, man. I think at this point, uh, Denver's four games ahead of us for the four seed. At this point, we're not catching Denver. I don't see us catching Denver. I think the conversation and the focus now needs to uh, shift over to we need to keep Dallas away. Dallas is currently one and a half games behind us for the fifth seed. The fifth seed, currently, you play the Nuggets. If you drop to the sixth seed, currently you're playing the Clippers. And if you ask me in the first round, who do I want to play? And I've said it and I've kept the same energy, man. I'm going to keep the same energy. I do not want to play the Clippers in the first round. I think they're a bad matchup for us and I'd rather face them in the Western Conference final. So I think it's important for us to um, get Braun back and, and, and make a run, man. And we really have a chance with the remaining of our schedule. It's not too difficult. We have a couple playoff teams mixed in there, but a lot of winnable games. A lot of winnable games. And uh, I don't know. I think the Lakers can catch Denver. I think they can uh they 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 can uh catch them. I think the Jazz are gonna fall. I think the Clippers are gonna win the, the Western Conference. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna leapfrog both the Suns and uh, the Jazz. I think the Suns are gonna How many games are the Clippers out of the the one seed? Two games tied with Phoenix. Oh what? I, I thought they were further back. That's it. Two games? Two games. That's it. So this is likely what's gonna happen. Jazz are gonna finish second, Clippers are gonna finish first, Suns are gonna drop back to, to third. I think between Denver and the Lakers, it'll be close only because I mean it is a four game difference, but there are twenty two games left. And if we come back with AD and with LeBron, we can win a good amount of those games. So it'll be a lot closer than it seems. I'm not worried about the Mavericks. I think they're dealing with a ton of injuries. Porzingis is a wild card. He, uh, I think he left uh, the second yeah, game, right? With he left, injury. no, the first game, the first game. He first left game. with like a, a, an ankle sprain and then uh, Richardson was also out with a hamstring injury. I mean, but to your point, man, if, if everything you're saying does happen and let's say that Utah or the Suns end up in the three seed, then I don't really mind being the sixth seed, but I prefer staying in that fifth seed and just playing Denver. I feel like that's an easier matchup for us, but we'll see, man. Some other news also real quick before we go to our games for the rest of the week. Some other news. Uh, Woj also reported that the Lakers are um, going to be discussing a contract extension for Frank Vogel this offseason. Um, he originally signed a, um, a three-year deal, and so he's currently in the second year of his deal. So next year would be the last year of his contract. How do you feel about that, man? Frank Vogel possibly getting an extension. Frank Vogel would probably be a multiple champion if it weren't for playoff P. So I definitely think we should sign him. <laughs> you know, all jokes aside, I think uh, it's a good move. I like Vogel. I think he's very defensive minded. He's definitely shaped the culture to be defensive minded. And that's exactly what you want out of a coach. Someone who can get his guys to fight, even if they're the third unit on the team, right? Someone that can get even the worst guy on the team to really claw all, all the way through to the end of the game. So I'm all for it. I like Vogel. I think he's got a good relationship with uh, AD, who long-term would probably stay with the Lakers, even if LeBron leaves or retires, which I don't think, but it's a good move. 
he's a he's a good coach. Um, he's a lot better than I thought he would be. So sign him. I mean, there. Who else would you even uh, pick up as an alternate choice? There aren't that many guys available. Yeah, I I think Frank Vogel. I agree with you, man. I think he's shown um and the Lakers fans and um the front office and just been carrying himself extremely well as a coach. I think he's shown us all that he's a great coach and the coach that we need. Like you said, he's really brought that defensive mentality, which I love, um, especially when you notice that, that we're still a top defense without LeBron and without D- AD. The Lakers have still been a top defense. You know, offensively, it's hard when you're missing two of the top five players in the league. Of course, your offense is going to struggle, um, but I also think Vogel does need to approve a little bit as an offensive coach, but I definitely think he's deserving of an extension. I'd probably give him another two to three year extension. So his contract goes from three years to like five or six years. I think that's fair. And we just, um, you know, secure your coach. So he doesn't have to worry about like, am I going to have a job when my contract extends? We don't want him worried about that. We want him to focus on coaching. And you want a you know peace of mind for the players who might potentially sign with the Lakers. You know you want you want, to know you want that stability. Is. Yep, I agree that with you. That the you're, coach is good. So you're exactly right on that point. It's always as as free agents they want to know who's the coach, and it's good to know that they have a, a coach who's locked in. Then more players are uh, players are more willing to come over. All right, so all right, man. So going into this week, uh, we'll probably end up recording again Wednesday because um, that's when the Dodgers close their series out against the um, against the Reds, and then the Lakers have a game as well. So we'll probably record after that Lakers game. So we have Orlando tomorrow since we're recording this Sunday night and then we have Washington Wednesday hit me with your predictions bro my prediction is that Washington's gonna finish with the eighth seed they're gonna play the Nets in the first round and then Russell Westbrook's gonna dunk on Duran and knock him out for the rest <laughs> of the season that's my that's my prediction but uh no <laughs> for the uh, next two games honestly I think we lose to the Wizards they're they've won eight straight they're nine and one in the last ten they're fighting for that last playoff spot they're hungry they've got Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal can just absolutely take over games and overpower us so i'm not really expecting too much of that game i think we'll beat the magic you know i especially with the way they dismantled their team before the deadline there isn't really much competition there they've lost five in a row um but yeah the wizards who should have been an easy matchup are probably like one of the best teams in the east right now i agree a hundred percent bro um, I think you said it all right. I think we beat uh, the Magic because they're definitely tanking for a better draft pick. And I think we lose to the Wizards because they are streaking. They have won eight in a row. I was looking at the games they've recently played. They haven't played a lot of good teams, though, man. Haven't played a ton of good teams. So I'm wondering if that's a game we can steal. It'll be tough, you know, because it is a sort of bad team, but with two star players. And that's what it takes. Those guys can take over. Westbrook Beal. They're just insane. They're crazy. They can drop 30 any given game. And right now, Westbrook playing mad. You know, you, they're just, they're beating, they're, they're good. Uh, I'm going to change my prediction, bro. I said we win both. I, I feel good. I, I'm just thinking about the Wizards a little bit, thinking about our defense. I think we can slow down Russell Westbrook a bit. I think we can make it difficult for Bradley Beal. I don't know who they have to throw at AD. I think AD starts to shake off the rust, maybe has a pretty good game here. I think Drummond uh, does a good job in the middle. So I'm going to say we win both, bro. Because we got to start getting some wins. We got to start racking up wins. After losing two, we need to win two. So I'm going to say we win both. That's my prediction. And you say we go 1-1. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all for tuning in and, and listening. We appreciate the support. Make sure you follow us on uh, Twitter at underscore City of Champs. Uh, our merch is coming out. The homie Edgar putting out some quality merchandise. So uh, we'll be getting that out to you all. Posting that on Twitter so you guys can jump on it and, and make your purchases. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple. And if you're on Apple, make sure you leave us a five-star review and show us some love. Uh, We will be reaching out to the listeners and our supporters for questions for upcoming podcasts. So be on the lookout for that that on Twitter. And yeah, we just appreciate the love. We appreciate the support. And we're just going to keep rocking, man. Peace.